right. Let's get into this word. Welcome to Epiphany Church. My name is Pastor Joe Marlin. Whether you're here, you're watching online, we're glad that you're here. And we are in a series in the Gospel of John called Jesus in Real Life. And we have been for weeks in the last week of Jesus' life, right? Like things just sort of slow down. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a car accident. I have, right? And it's like you remember it in a different way than like any other like 10-second, 20-second thing. It just it feels like minutes <laughs> or hours. <laughs> You, 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 you experience every single detail. And John, coming you know, near the end of his life, he's remembering what Jesus said that last night. He's writing it down for us. Why? So we would believe, to encourage us. Amen? There had already been three other gospel accounts of Jesus' life. But John says, here's another one. <laughs> Here's another one to fill in the picture of your Savior. And praise God that he did. Next week, our brother Chris is going to preach on Jesus' arrest. We're gonna, we're gonna, things are going to start moving. Amen? Things are going to start moving to the cross and to the resurrection. And I just feel so deeply that we can sometimes miss huge things in our lives because, like, maybe we're just beat up and tired. You know, um, we just sometimes lose perspective. And... Um, you know, maybe a friend is going away, getting deployed overseas, and everybody's going out to send them off, and we're having a bad day, <laughs> and we don't go. <laughs> um, maybe we had a bad, a rough ride with a family member, and they're dying, and we're on the fence. And we miss out, you know? We miss those opportunities. I remember my wife, she was in Mexico when I was dating her, and um, her, her, her grandfather died. And they had a funeral. And um, she, she really regrets that she just didn't go home to be with everybody and just be at that funeral to this day. I mean, I can think of so many times when we miss things. I don't want to miss, I don't want to miss th these, these, these sayings, these words. Jesus is last night on earth, and that's how John is, right? He's like, don't, don't miss this. <laughs> don't miss what Jesus has to say. And, and here in John chapter 17, we have Jesus' prayer for his disciples and even for you and me. We don't want to miss it. 
let's hear what Jesus is saying. And I'm going to invite Corbin to come up and to read for us John chapter 17, the whole chapter, verses 1 to 26. Let's listen. Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. Since, since you gave him authority over all flesh so that he may give eternal life, eternal life to everyone you have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and the one you have sent. Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I, I had with you before the world existed. I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from this world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given is from you because I have given them the words you gave me. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that I, that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me because they are yours. Everything I have is yours and everything you have is mine and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me, so that they may be one, as we are one. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction so that the scripture may be fulfilled. Now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may have my joy completed in them. I have given them your word. The, word, the, the world hated them because, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they may also be sanctified by the truth. I pray not only for these but also for those who believe in me through their through their word may may they may they all be one as you father are in me and i am in you may they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me i have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be the one as we are one i am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one that the world may that the world may know you have sent me and have loved 
them as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, so that they will see my glory, which you have given me because you have loved me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you, and they have known that you sent me. I made I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known so that the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. So we see in this passage, we see in the first five verses, this beautiful unbelievable relationship between the Father and the Son, right? Between God the Father and Jesus Christ. The Father has been glorified by the work that Jesus completed. And now Jesus is saying, I have glorified you by the work that I have completed. And he's asking the Father, now glorify me, (laughs) right? And he's talking about, raise me from the dead, (laughs) right? I have lived the sinless life. I have come, John really, but also throughout John 17, that that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have the same plan. Amen? Sometimes the way we hear this preached, it's like the Father was really reluctant to love you, but Jesus twisted his arm. Now, it is true that God is so holy, and the Bible describes him as a consuming fire, and that is a consuming fire of purity and holiness as to where he cannot stand before sin and darkness. But God is also a consuming fire of compassion and love. And see, what I need you to see is that Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they work together. (laughs) That there was a giving of the Son. God the Father saw you in your pitiable state. He saw me as a sinner in all the ways that I would run from him and rebel. And he knew that there had to be a way to save me. He knew that there had to be a dramatic way to save me. And he sent his Son. Do you understand this? That God the Father loved you. He has always loved you. That's why he sent Jesus. Jesus didn't twist his arm. They get glory. Do you get this? God is glorified when you take steps towards him in faith. God is glorified that you're here. God is glorified when you pray. God is glorified when you change things in your life. God is getting glory through the work that is only possible through the work of Jesus Christ in your life. There is no reluctant son. 
There's no father in heaven saying, well, you know, the only way to save you is, you know, I have to send somebody to sacrifice. And the son is like, well, if I have to, no. Jesus came on purpose. I remember, um, I remember like years ago we were living in Philly and I get a call and it's like the middle of the night and it's some friends that we found. We originally found them behind the CVS on Allegheny Ave. This is in North Philadelphia in Kensington. And the, the, then they were living, this was some months later, they were living in like um, this crack house because like he got his girl pregnant they weren't using, they had nowhere to go. This is where they ended up, right? And they're calling me up, and, and they're like, what can we do? And I remember, like, calling, calling other guys from the church. It's, most of them wouldn't answer. Of course, it's midnight. When I did get somebody, like, I don't think that's the thing for me. It's amazing to me how the church can disciple a bunch of people to be nice, but they need to show up when you need them, Amen. I need you to know that God saw us in the shady spot we shouldn't have been. And when he looked at his son and said, let's go get him, his son didn't wait or hesitate a second. He answered that phone call at midnight, and he came, and he grabbed us out, and he wasn't afraid. And in fact, he wasn't afraid even though in his circumstance, right? I was able to go there, get these folks out, ended up going alone. Nobody would go with me, right? And God protected me, and I was fine. Don't recommend that. Maybe another time it wouldn't be fine. That's not the point of the illustration, right? But what I'm saying is God, God sends his son to rescue us knowing that it wouldn't turn out all right. Jesus came for you knowing it wasn't going to turn out all right. He was going to die. He was going to be put on a cross for your sins. Do you get this? He loves you. All of God loves all of you. He knows exactly who you are. He knows all of your faults. He knows all of the secrets. And he still loves you. And he saves you. Amen? We just have to return, respond to him in faith. We just have to believe. We just have to trust in him. You know, in verse 3, it says that, it says that this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I want you to know tonight that walking personally with God is not like a extra special spooky Christianity. It's Christianity 101. Like this is the thing that Jesus came for, that you would actually have God hold your hand through life. 
This is why God sent his son, to save you and to be a part of your life, to be in your life, not only now, but forever and ever and ever. Amen? Because this life is not only abundant, but it's eternal. It doesn't end. And this is why Jesus came for us, that we would have life. Come on, guys. We acting sometimes like we don't have life, but we have life. We acting like we're on our last rope, you know, but we have a safety net. I, I, I mean, God has saved us. And listen, I, I mean, I say this with complete sincerity. If God don't take away the cancer, if God don't pay the bills, if you end up dying in a year, guess what? So what? You're going to heaven. It's going to be all right. You have eternal life. Nothing can take it from you. The car might not get fixed. You might not get to the spot you want to get. Your mental health issues might not be resolved. Your disability might not come. Your relationship stuff that you want to work out, it might not work out. But I'm telling you that the promise of life that God gives us is eternal life. It's so much bigger than a pain-free life. Oh, praise God. God didn't promise us a pain-free life. He promised us an abundant, full life. Can we praise him for that? And then in verse 6 to 12, you know, again, we see that Jesus has revealed God, except here's where it gets interesting. He's revealed God, but he specifically says uh, he's not praying here for the world. Did you catch that? He's not praying for the world. He's praying for those who would believe in him. This is really hard for us. I spoke about this last week. Why can't God just, like, rent a crop duster and just write in the sky, <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I'm the way. You know, the other ways are false. This one's true. You know? And um, we know, like, like we know that Blaise Pascal quote, right? The heart has reasons that reasons know nothing of. There's some deep stuff in our souls that don't want God, even if it was really clear, <laughs> right? There's a, some deep stuff in us that wants to run away from God. Um, I, I, uh, and I wish this wasn't true, but I can tell you stories. I, I, I remember a really good friend of mine. We were at a thing called Urbana. Urbana is this crazy you know, missionary conference for like people like 18 to like 25 years old. So imagine this, we're in just outside the suburbs of Chicago with 20,000 young people. <laughs> 20,000, and every morning you start with worship with 20,000 people in the stadium. Every evening you end the day with 20,000 people in the stadium. And on New Year's Eve, because it's always between Christmas and New Year's, on New Year's Eve, you take communion with 20,000 people. And everybody's there because they're trying to discern the, the will of God in their life. Should I go and serve God? But in between the morning and the evening, these huge gatherings of worship and teaching, because it's on a campus, every class 
room is filled with these smaller breakouts. I remember going with a really good friend of mine. I don't know why we went. Honestly, we were, we, we were like going to different you know, ones. I don't remember why we were in this particular guy's class, but I'll never forget it. My friend was there, and um, the guy saw my friend who was leading the thing and pulled us aside and he told him everything that had ever happened to him, just like the woman at the well in John chapter 4. He described in detail the abuse that he went through when he was a child. He told him secrets there's no way he could have known. God sent the crop duster, amen? And he showed up in power, and then he prayed over this guy, and the guy experienced incredible healing. And he prayed in power. And then that guy, my friend, he became, over the years, we, we kind of known each other for a long time, he came and he became a, a leader in the church, But now, he doesn't call himself a Christian. Even when God gets the crop duster, it doesn't always work. And you and I know this. We have been delivered from some crazy stuff right? Some of us in this room have been delivered from some crazy stuff where we should have been dead, and we still took like, like these little like three, four, five-year breaks from God. <laughs> Even after he did undisputable miracles in our lives. You know, I've seen my brothers and sisters in Christ leave the faith for really corny things, you know, really dumb things. Just stuff that isn't even like, you know, just got into some hobby and it just started taking over their life. Started working a bunch of jobs. I, I literally knew a guy that used to go down and coach little kids in the inner city basketball was on fire for Jesus began to do some extensions on his property began to do some like like build out little wings and stuff like that and it just never ended and he doesn't go to church anymore when Jesus prophesied right in Matthew 13 that there would be different soils and the third soil that the deceitfulness of riches and the worries and concerns of life would choke out the seed of the gospel. He wasn't playing around. He wasn't playing around when he said that the way is narrow and there are few who enter it. Jesus is the only way, brothers and sisters. Let's not depart from that. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the bread of heaven. He is the water to our souls. He is the one who brings us back from death. Amen? And then we see as we move through this chapter in verses 13 to 19, we see 
this whole prayer about us and being in the world, right? You remember that? And then this verse 15 really hits hard. It says, I'm praying not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Like, part of us, you know, like, some of what Jesus says and prays, um, it's hard. Sometimes it's hard because it's not clear. But usually it's hard because it's clear and we wish he said something different. <laughs> right? Like usually the, the, the reason that Jesus' sayings are hard is because he's saying something and we don't like it. And he's like, why did Jesus not pray, specifically not pray to take us out of this world? Why did Jesus specifically not pray to take us away from all of our problems? Why did Jesus specifically not pray to just like remove us from all the drama, the dysfunction, the darkness, the depression, the discouragement of this world? Oh, family, listen to me. God has never promised a pain-free life. He has never promised an escape from this world. He, he never promised that we would never get sick. He never promised that we would never die. He never promised that we'd always be rich. He never promised that we would never be discouraged. In fact, Paul, right, Jesus' follower who wrote like almost half the New Testament, he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 8, and 9, he says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. And some will say, oh, pastor, that's talking about persecution. But if you just have enough faith... Persecution is different, but if you just have enough faith, God always and only wants to heal. Have you ever heard this? But Paul continues later in that same chapter. What does he say? He says, therefore, we don't give up. Somebody say, don't give up. Therefore, we don't give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed. In the King James, it says, wasting away. <laughs> our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So you do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Amen? And so we see that Jesus doesn't pray to take you out of the world, out of your family, out of your troubles. But he does pray that the devil would not get his hooks in you. Right? Now, like on my block, there are different folks that are kind of have a different mentality about being on my block where we live. There are those who feel stuck, right? There are those who, who were like their lives were a little destabilized. They were somewhere else. Now they're renting on our block, and they are kind of just can't wait. If they could possibly get out, they'd get out, right? And then there are those on my block who have been there forever, who own their homes. 
I, there's this one family on my block who was thinking about selling their home and then getting like some land and like a rancher and, and just sort of like retiring in that situation. But they figured, you know what, we've been here our whole life. We've walked all the places we know, right? Like this is house that's very manageable for us. So we're just going to stay. We can be settled. Listen to what I'm saying. We can be settled in our souls because we're not settled here forever. You don't have to feel stuck where you are. You know, have you ever heard the expression, in the world, not of it? That's not what this text says. The, the, in the world, not of it, the, the, the tone of that, what that can kind of express is that, well, we have to be here, but let's not, like, share its values. And, of course, that's true. We don't, we, 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 we're not of this world, right? We heard that, we heard that over and over again. But, but here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, he's literally saying this in the chapter, and he says it a couple of times. He says, I have sent you into this world. Don't be of it. See, the emphasis is a little different. We aren't stuck here, right? We aren't stuck here. We can be settled in our hearts because our home isn't here, and we can be faithful to him. Amen? We can be faithful to him, come hell or high water, because we know this place isn't our home. We're not stuck. You don't have to be whoever, wherever you live. Praise God. You don't have to be your circumstances. You are not the, the recent failures you've had. You are not the recent setbacks you've had. You are not the situation you're in health-wise, financial-wise. Your destiny is eternal life amen your destiny is eternal life so so we can have a very different mentality where we can actually be settled in our souls because we're not settled here in this world <laughs> we don't have to chase with a death grip a certain thing that we've always had to have Or we will never be happy. Right? We've got folks who, who are like, uh, I could never be happy while I'm renting. I could never be happy until I have X, Y, and Z assets. You're not stuck. You were sent. You're living with family now because we got some folks here like that. You, you, you feel like it's been a setback. I need to encourage you tonight that you're not stuck. That you can be settled in your soul. That this situation ain't is super temporary anyway. God's word says it's a light and momentary. It's light and momentary. You can be faithful. You can. And we see all that. And we see that God has given us a mission. And we see in verses 20 to 26 as we get to the end of this, we see, starting in verse 20, he says, I pray for all those who would believe in me through their message. Guys, yo, this is us. Jesus is closing this prayer. He's been praying for, like, those particular disciples, right, the 12, right? Now he's praying for you. 
We are a part of those who believe through the message of the apostles. Amen? And what does he pray for us? He prays that we would be one. What an interesting thing. Right? He prays that we'd be one. And to understand this as all Christians holding hands, ignoring their differences, singing kumbaya, is to absolutely miss and cheapen what this is about. What kind of oneness does he pray for us? For us? What kind of oneness does he pray for us? Is it an organizational oneness? Is it to be under one bishop? Is it to be one nation, one tribe, one, one empire, one civilization? No, because the church is going to be you know, speaking all kinds of languages, amen? <laughs> Going to be in all kinds of places at all kinds of times, seeing life in completely different ways. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> the church is so much bigger than that. It's not organizational oneness. It's not denominational oneness. But it's even deeper than that. This oneness is given definition. He says, just as I am in the Father and you are in me, Guys, when he prays that we would be one, then he gives the definition. And he says, the way that I am one with God the Father, the way the Father is one with me, God wants us to be one the way he is one. This deep koinonia, this deep partnership, fellowship, love, this deep doing life together. We started a series in our uh, shepherding group, the West uh, Side group. Uh, Chris uh, opened us up with a series by to Tony Evans on right now about one anothering. There are 52 commandments at least to one another. Almost one for every week of the year. <laughs> and, 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 and so in the New Testament, it just talks about you got to love one another. You got to build up one another. You got to warn one another. You gotta pull one another out of sin. You gotta encourage one another. You gotta carry one another's burdens. <laughs> and it just goes on and on and on. That God wants us to one another because He wants us to be one. He wants us to be one the way He is one with the Father. Jesus is praying for you and me to be the church and to be at the church. We cannot be one if we're not together. It's impossible to be one and not physically together, ever. Of course, we can be together in the spirit, right? After we've lived life together, after we know each other's names and problems and gifts, right? After we know each other's numbers and addresses and have cooked in each other's kitchens, that's what Jesus is praying for when he prays that we would be one. He wants to draw us into this oneness. But that isn't to say that this prayer doesn't apply, you know, to, to just, I'm not saying it only applies to us here or different local churches, right? It also applies to the capital C church. You know, Paul gives this really powerful analogy. He talks about it in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. He talks about the body. And he says stuff like, 
you know, some people the eye, other people the hands, some people the foot. Like, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you, <laughs> right? We all have different gifts. We all bring something different to the table in the local church. And, and, and then Paul even says in 1 Corinthians, he says, do all speak tongues? No. Does everybody have, is everybody great at administration? No. Can every, can every single Christian be unbelievably generous, sell their, their second property? I mean, I don't have a second property to sell, so no, right? Everybody has different gifts to bring to the Lord, and together we need each other, and that's how we're one. We're not one in working out this thing where we look exactly like each other. We're one in our diversity, just like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three different people, and yet it's one God. And so there's a oneness, but we're still male and female. <laughs> There's a oneness, and yet we're still Spanish, Asian, black, white, with like beautiful things about each one of those things, right? God brings us together. He doesn't pressure wash away our unique gifts. He doesn't pressure wash away our personalities, but yet we are one. But I truly believe this doesn't just apply in the local church. I believe it's the same thing. Our church has strengths. Do you know that? I know like sometimes when you have a new and small church, you kind of don't see that. But there's some beautiful things God is doing in our church. <laughs> there are some strengths. There, there are some amazing things that God is doing in our church that other churches need. And we need other churches right? We're not the complete embodiment of Jesus on earth, you know, at the corner of Sussex and Monmouth. We need each other. There's this book by Gordon T. Smith called Evangelical, Sacramental, and Pentecostal. Really good. It's a really good book. Um, maybe one day we'll have like all the leaders read it, right? It's that kind of book. And then the subtitle is Why the Church Should Be All Three, it was written by this kid, this guy who grew up as a kid in Brazil. And he would remark, because Brazil is this overwhelmingly Catholic country, right? But the, the, there's the evangelical and the Pentecostal church growing like wildfire there too. And so he, he would just remark, he'd visit the churches, right? And, and he starts in the intro of the book, he talks about visiting this evangelical church. I'm going to tell you what these words mean in a minute. <laughs> but... He's like, he goes to the evangelical church, they're baptizing someone, and they spend 30 minutes talking about how the water they use for baptism don't mean nothing. <laughs> because they're so important for them to distinguish themselves from the sacramental, from the Catholic. <laughs> right? And they just, like, they're really pounding it away, like, like, this does, but they didn't get any, they didn't get to what the water was. <laughs> they didn't get to what the baptism meant. <laughs> they so, so aggressively explained what this didn't mean <laughs> to not even get to the point of saying what it does mean. So here's the thing. So this is another way that I believe God prays for us to be one. He makes a compelling case that the early church was all three. 
that, that the early church was evangelical, sacramental, and Pentecostal. So evangelical means really standing on the word of God as the thing that weighs and judges everything else. And then we say amen to that. It's the kind of Christians we are, <laughs> right? Like, like you have a thought, you, you had a dream, you had a vision. I'm not mad at that, but let's test that. Like, you're not going to come and start teaching some different doctrine than this teaches. <laughs> this, is, this is what we weigh and judge all that stuff with. All right? Sacramental means they understand that God has given us these mysteries or ordinances. So sacrament means mystery. It's Latin for mystery. That God is truly present. Um. Like we, we really believe God meets us when we take communion. That it's not just an intellectual thing <laughs> where we're like, oh, we forget, and in our minds, we need to remember. No, like God really strengthens us. He's really there, right? Um, and then Pentecostal, right, who are always beating the drum, the Holy Ghost still moves. He still gives gifts. He still works. Ways in which it supplies, right? So if you go back a little over 100 years ago and you were to hang around evangelicals, those who call themselves evangelicals, and, you know, what would you find? What would you find with those people who are like, yeah, God loved the world in Jesus Christ, and we want everybody to know about that? What you would find is that they were doing stuff like building hospitals and starting up things like the YMCA and helping people get jobs. And everywhere the gospel went, like those early Methodist preachers, those wild, like, uneducated <laughs> dudes who would get on the back of horsebacks and just ride off into the spots where everybody was drinking gin and, like, totally drunk out of their mind all the time and it was like the wild west like the movies right the wild west and they would moved west there's a reason why there's certain denominations don't make it past the east coast <laughs> if you know church history there's a reason why it's all baptists all methodists and all pentecostals once you move from the east coast and these, these men and women preached in power, but it wasn't just this individual soul needs to be saved. Everywhere the gospel went, men who were whipping their wives became men who lovingly led their homes. You know who was behind? I, was, I preached um, in a church up in New England called Free Christian Church because it was the first church to, to join the abolition movement, <laughs> right? Now, we can fool ourselves and like just claim this heritage, right? But we got to admit something, that this activism, this cry for social justice, right? Um, we kind of left that to other Christians on the, the liberal side <laughs> of things, <laughs> Jesus prays that we would be one. Our, 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 those, who are, those who are loudest about the injustice they see in society, right? 
They need us too. They need to get back to this Bible. They need to get back to the fact that we can pray that God hears us, that he interacts with us, that it's not just a bunch of principles to live our lives by, but we also need them. Jesus prayed that we would be one. And I just want to encourage you that this is what God church has looked like and at different times the church just fractures and that's what we're in right now i don't i don't know that in like recent generations the church has been more fractured than right now and it's not just the church right it's society you're gonna have thanksgiving i bet some of us know here people here in our family that won't come because of politics and they just don't want to talk about it was it always like that? Jesus prayed that his people would be one. He prayed that his people would be one. God wants to make his people one, where they, we believe in the power of the Spirit, where we care about the issues of injustice and suffering around us, where we don't care just about eternal suffering and souls, but we care about the, the situations of people around us who don't have enough to eat. We, we care about folks that can't get a job. We care about all the areas of life, amen? God is grieved when his people are divided. This was his prayer. Like don't, like, don't miss this. Remember what I said in the beginning, we missed this? What did Jesus pray right before he was arrested? Prayed for those, not just the disciples right there, but prayed for the, those who would believe this message and prayed for all the centuries of all the people who would ever believe in the message. He prayed that they would be one. And what would happen if they were one? The world would know. <laughs> they would know. Does the world see power in the church or is the world looking at the church like it's pathetic? You know the answer. Let's pray for God to visit us and to send down his spirit and wake us up that we would be one. Pray with me. Father God, I pray, Lord, you would restore us, renew us, strengthen us, Lord. We pray, Father, we be one, Lord. We pray that this local church would learn to live in your oneness better. God, that we would learn to be together, to do life together. And we have done that in some powerful and amazing ways. And I praise you for that. But I pray, Lord, that we would continue to grow. And Lord, I pray, Father, for your church the wider church where we look at each other suspiciously and I, I, not that we would just open up our minds and accept things that are untrue and move away from the truth of your word. I, I don't pray that at all. But I, but I pray, God, that you would really help us to see where we might be the eyes, but we're looking down at the hands, despising the hand looking at other Christians, despising them. And we need to repent. And there's things we can learn from each other. I pray that even in this church, there, there, there are folks who come from different backgrounds and, and, and they, they give us an 
humble, gentle spirit to learn from each other and a spirit of discernment. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.